If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Hello. Today, I've got John Holloway from the worst comic podcast ever on my show today. And we are going to be discussing Return of the Jedi. We'll talk about the background, the actors, the movie, and of course, the soundtrack. Today, on Soundtrack Alley. John, it's great to have you on my show tonight. Thanks a lot, Randy. It's uh, great to be here. I appreciate uh, you having me on, and uh, I know you've had my other compatriots uh, on the show as well, so uh, it's nice to uh, get on here myself. Yeah, I, I, was, I was wondering how I would be able to uh, get all three of you on at, at some point, and <laughs> Uh, doing the Star Wars trilogy is actually a really nice way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. No, we're suckers. I'm, I'm of the three of us, and I love Star Wars. I mean, I had all the action figures, and and uh, you know, my I eventually gave them to my nephew. But uh, you know, I had the land speeder. My land speeder was gunked up because we actually used to use it in actual sand. Oh yeah. And it turns it turns out uh, a land speeder, the toy land speeder, does not work very well on actual sand it will gunk it up <laughs> yeah so uh, just just to warn everybody on that uh, you definitely don't want to do that but uh, when i would get together with uh, colin and jerry and our friends to play the uh trivial pursuit star wars uh, edition of trivial pursuit uh, their basic rule was you had to answer the whole card oh. you couldn't just answer one question you had to answer all six questions <laughs> or else you weren't you weren't really worthy. I was. I was definitely the least worthy. Those guys had memorized the uh, the credits. Oh wow! They knew, they knew who played Star Stormtrooper eighty seven, and I was like, yeah, I'm not that good. So uh, <laughs> uh, so they're so they're impressive. So I will try to be worthy here. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm sure you are more than worthy to <laughs> be able to bring out some points about. Uh, Return of the Jedi. One of the things I really find is that with Return of the Jedi, with uh, you know it being directed by uh, it wasn't Kirshner, it was uh, Richard Marquand. 
Yeah, Richard Marquand. It wasn't it wasn't Hirschner, who I think was who I think still is actually the best director um, of anybody in the Star Wars series. Oh yeah. Uh, because I because to me, Empire is still for me my favorite movie. Yeah. Um, and I and I've liked the two recent movies. Um, but for for everything that went into it and everything that happened for me, you know, Empire. And I don't want to talk down Richard the Jedi, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. But I still think I still think Empire benefited so much from Hirschner's uh, direction. Somebody other than George Lucas to bring that that vision to life. Oh yeah, I would have to agree because I mean it's one of my favorite movies, Return of the Jedi. It's it's up there, but it's not my all time Star Wars favorite. So, yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, there's different, different things that we learn from the production side of things. And it's so funny, uh, you know, thinking about that, you know, Carrie Fisher recently died and, uh, on the set, she had complained about her costumes in both previous movies. So she had said they were too long or you couldn't tell she was a woman (laughs) and uh, these complaints led to the skimpy outfit that she wore as Jabba's slave and so that costume became something of a running joke among the crew because the metal framework that held the top together meant that the costume didn't move well with her and uh, she didn't like the industry's standard solution that used double-sided tape and it became necessary before each take to have a wardrobe person check to ensure that her breasts were still snug inside the costume top. So there were war- which is it, which wardrobe is it malfunctions. I mean, somebody got, here's the thing, Randy. Somebody got paid to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that was somebody's job was to get paid to make sure that uh, Carrie Fisher's breasts were adequately taped inside her costume that was a job yeah yeah and i can't believe that that was an actual thing that somebody got paid for i think uh yeah and it's funny because she she also gave uh george some some trouble at times because uh she wasn't allowed in any of her costumes she didn't wear a brassiere no and she she gave him a lot of trouble about because he said well there's not going to be brassieres in space or whatever (laughs) it's just the most bizarre explanation uh of all time but you know he made it work oh yeah he did he definitely did one of the the actors that i really find is was so key to a lot of the action for return of the jedi as well as i mean you look back or you look forward to when they filmed the prequels ian mcdermott i mean ian mcdermott uh made it to where his scenes as the Emperor in Return of the Jedi were so iconic that, you know, he he embodied that character. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, for sure. And I think he, um, you know, up until that point, uh, Vader is, is, you know, we haven't seen really Vader and the Emperor together. We've, we've seen Vader go in front of the hologram projection of the Emperor, but we haven't really seen them together. And because in, in Star Wars, Darth Vader is, for a lot of us who were young at that time, he becomes our ultimate villain. I mean, Darth Vader is the personification of villainy. Yeah. And, and then you see the Emperor, 
And all of a sudden, he is a guy who takes it up to 11. Like if if Vader was at 10, the Emperor's at 11 because he's just playing Vader like a like a fiddle, and just everything like he just seems so invincible. But it isn't just that he's that he's evil. It's that he loves being evil. Yeah. Like he just relishes being evil. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's what makes him such a villain. But he does it without going somehow without going over the top because normally that kind of villainy just becomes almost comedic. Yeah. It becomes like such a joke or so ridiculous that you can't even take it seriously. But with him, um, Vader seems to somehow become worse temporarily. Like it, Vader becomes sad. Mm-hmm. Like that Vader just isn't even in control. Like that he's just like he'd like to let help Luke. You know, there's a moment yeah. in in Return where you know Luke comes to him and and Vader wants to let him go, and you can tell that he's torn. But man, I gotta turn you into the the man because Vader's not in control of himself um, when the when the Emperor's around, and that and that's at least you know up until obviously the the end. Um, and I think that's you know McDermott makes that role so believable um, and, and evil without turning it over the top to make it comedic yeah and you know with with return that or with empire strikes back you know they had the uh the person that came on uh i think his name was clive revel who had portrayed the emperor's voice in empire strikes back that was before before the uh special edition um when they had changed everything mcdermott he had he felt that he could conduct a stronger, more wicked voice for the emperor as opposed to Revel's more aristocratic emperor. And so both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were so impressed with his take that it ended up being a signature trait of his character. So Yeah, I mean, the, vo- the, the voice of the emperor is so, you know, and... and... You know, you watch the the Simpsons even to a lot of degree. Sort of, Mr. Burns kind of has that that sort of older voice, but there's this evilness that's underneath it too. And and uh, um, and I think we've all kind of done that impression of the Emperor. It's it's a it's a voice that you easily can call up. Yeah. And and that's what made you know that's part of what makes it so iconic. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the, the funny things about the emperor and, say, his chair that he had in the mm-hmm. in his high spire, apparently, I would assume it's a spire, but it's on the Death Star. So I don't know what what it would be classified as. But that chair was supposed to be mechanized and it was supposed to be able to rotate when the scene called for it, but it never worked properly. So Ian McDermott had to make make it move by shuffling his feet. <laughs> and so there was a piece of tape on the floor when it told him to stop. And it was just, it was hilarious, but you can never visibly see him move his feet to uh, turn the chair. And that's just kind of classic movie magic. I mean, that's what you would have done back in the day. Yeah. You know, you would have just had the person rotate the chair and that's what you did. That's movie magic. And, and in some ways, I feel like, you know, we get so <laughs> we get so impressed with this technological terror we've constructed. We, <laughs> you know, we, we sometimes go to a technological solution when one isn't really necessary. Yeah. 
um, you know, you, you have somebody design it, you set it up so that it swivels and you go from there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, that's just a classic movie. I'm sure that, that younger people were probably aghast and, oh my gosh, that's so hilarious that they had to do that. Yeah. And older actors are like, that's what you do. That's, yeah. that's how you make movies. You know, you, you, you make just it work. make sure that that doesn't show up on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's those little things that actually make it seem more real. And one thing that, that made me, made me chuckle when I was doing some research was, um, you know, with the opening sequence and you see, you know, the Java sail barge and that it was filmed in uh, Yuma, Arizona. Well, mm -hmm. they had they had a real problem with uh, dune buggy enthusiasts. And, <laughs> and so um, to preserve the secrecy of the film, they they kept on making these horror references, calling it Blue Harvest. And that it was uh, horror beyond imagination. And they even had caps and t-shirts made. Uh, and even a chain link fence and 24-hour security sometimes didn't prevent fans from entering the scene and sneaking some photographs. But another reason for the guys was um, Blue Harvest was to put off any snoopers because the production found that they if they mentioned that they were working on the next Star Wars film, suppliers would automatically ramp up their prices, assuming that the money sure. was no object. But I thought it was kind of funny because it's like a later point that I had found was uh, they had used that very jab of the name Blue Harvest when they brought out the Family Guy movie, and it, uh. they called it Star Wars Blue Harvest or something. I thought that was kind of funny. Very nice touch. Very nice touch. Yeah, the, and, and that seems to be even more and more. You know, obviously movie stuff is, is very secretive, but partially because now, you know, back in the day, you're a star, you're a, you know, you're out in your dune buggy and you're out there and maybe you get a peek at something, you get a picture on your camera. But literally at that time, you would then have to take that film, go get it developed, go find somebody to buy it. It's a grainy picture from who knows how far away. Yeah. Um, you know, now it's a digital picture. Uh, you can get a high res, and they saw on the internet in ten seconds. Yeah. And and, and it's done. You can't control that anymore. Mm -mm. So it, it's it's such a different thing. And now you see, you know, they've got to cover up everybody and make sure when you see things from like the Star Wars, Star Trek movies. You know, everybody's very covered and everything's very hush-hush. And uh, it's amazing how controlled all that is. Oh, yeah. And even, you know, even with um, the new Star Wars movies, it seems like uh, there's a there's still a very much high secrecy about those movies because people have their theories and everything, but there's no pictures released, there's nothing. And so it's it's got to be like a super close set to be able to keep that kind of secrecy going well i think sometimes it's also a control i think you're absolutely right i think it's also a control of um oh information partially information but it's partially also um you know you, you get a picture out and maybe the picture looks bad and maybe because it's an early version maybe they're still working on it maybe they're going to do some work in post-production with with uh, you know digital effects or whatever 
but you get a picture out and the picture looks bad and people start bashing the movie before it's even come out and yeah. you get this negative connotation and people are already writing the reviews of the movie before they've even seen it. Mm-hmm. And um, so you want to control some of those expectations and information before that stuff comes out. Yeah, that's that's a really excellent point because otherwise everything's out in the open and like today everything can be and it's on the internet instantly so uh yeah they have to really really control those those sequences or just keeping the set (laughs) very hush hush so yeah uh one of the things i found interesting as you of course are part of the worst comic podcast ever um you deal with comics a lot one of the interesting characters in Revenge or Return of the Jedi is the fact that Boba Fett meets his doom. And yet, after Return of the Jedi came out, Boba Fett appeared in comics and became a very popular supporting character. Now, how do you feel about Boba Fett becoming that uh, iconic bounty hunter figure in comics. Well, I, you know, here's the thing. Boba Fett was a character that we all thought was awesome. Like, and, and, and so a big part of it was, obviously we didn't want Boba Fett to kill Han or, or Luke or anything. But on the other hand, you know, seeing Boba Fett die, you know, taken down in the way he was to go down in the way he did was also pretty disappointing. Oh, yeah. You know, I think, I think a lot of us are like, come on, man, you can't just have... That's not how Boba Fett dies. Like, if Boba Fett dies, it's got to be awesome and epic. You can't just have him die like that. So different things showed him sort of, like, in the comics, they'd show him crawling out of mm-hmm. the Sarlacc pit and uh, different things. I'm fine with that. I mean, here's the thing. Like you, like, like, you know, we're comic book guys. In comic books, no one's ever dead. No. Like, oh, people are only dead as long as it serves the story mm-hmm. you need them alive you come in it's like soap operas and everything you kill somebody off then you renegotiate their contract and hey look they're alive again it's weird <laughs> yeah. so um so i've got i've got no problem with that because i think we all thought boba fett was you know was super cool yeah so i'm good with it well, that's good um, did you ever read any of the uh, Boba Fett comics that had come out through Dark Horse? I wasn't a big Star Wars comic book guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I would read something every once in a while. They did they did a great one that was like an alternate reality one mm-hmm. where Leia where Leia was was on the dark side. She worked with the Empire, and there was all kinds of stuff. And and um, I read a couple other about some of the other Jedi and some other bounty hunters and things like that. Um, I think there was a Darth Vader versus Boba Fett mm-hmm. uh, Dark Horse uh, little four-issue story yep. that I got that was really good. Um, but I wasn't I wasn't a big... So, I mean, I, I read some of it, but I wasn't a super huge um, Star Wars comic book guy. For whatever reason, I, I just never quite got into it. Oh, well, you know, that's perfectly fine because... You know, everybody has their thing, and I think sure. I've read I've read maybe a few of the older Star Wars comics that came out through Dark Horse. I read Dark Empire and Dark Empire yes. Two, and um, those were really unique because it saw Luke in a different light and different 
um, different way of looking at his character, but the artwork to it was terrible. <laughs> it, it wasn't the best. It yeah. wasn't the best artwork, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, which was too bad because I'm a sucker for alternate reality, um, mm -hmm. alternate version sort of comics where you you know you take something and, and you kind of play the what if game. Um, I love that stuff. Uh, but yeah, that that series, the artwork on that series did not make me think. You know, I need to get a bunch more of Star Wars comics, unfortunately. Oh. Um, and that and that's tricky because you you want to be able to you got something that maybe you think is going to attract readers, but you don't have maybe the artist you like at the time. But you got to go with the story. You've already paid the writer or something. So I don't know. Some of those things are a little bit tricky uh, to manage. But uh, um, but I thought that was a very cool idea. And mm -hmm. I hadn't seen it much from Star Wars. I'd seen it from other stuff, but I hadn't seen it much uh, from Star Wars stuff before. So I thought that was a really cool, um, that was a really cool touch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a unique way of looking at the characters. And um, you see the, you know, with Return of the Jedi, you see uh, Luke uh, presenting himself in dark clothing. And you really wonder, is he going toward the dark side or or what, and uh, and yet he is very clearly a Jedi, but, you know, his clothing doesn't represent that. I always found it unique with the posters that came out before the movie of Return of the Jedi that originally it had been titled Revenge of the Jedi. Right. But the producers, you know, of course, thought that Jedis wouldn't seek revenge uh, due to their ethical code, and even some posters and stand-ups, they had to be pulled because it wasn't that, you know? And even with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which will be a further episode uh, down the line on my podcast, uh, was originally going to be called Star Trek Revenge of Khan, but they changed it to avoid confusion with the movie back when Revenge of the Jedi was being considered. So I thought that was kind of unique in the way the the posters would reflect the uh, Revenge of the Jedi in that it was, you know, that red poster with Luke and Darth Vader fighting and uh, the outline was of Darth Vader's face. So it was unique. And then do you remember one of the posters that came out where you see the two hands holding the lightsaber? Yeah, I do remember that, but I don't remember who was it supposed to be. Who was it supposed to be? It was George Lucas's hands. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> I thought that was kind of kind of funny to find that out. Um, that sounds a little bit. That sounds a little bit like George Lucas. To do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was kind of one of those funny points. And when we when we think about even like David Prowse uh, with. Being Darth Vader, he was kind of bummed out that Sebastian Shaw was going to be the character that was going to be unmasked at the end. He was just kind of upset that it wouldn't have been him that would be under the mask. But I guess they wanted a different look to how Vader would actually look as a human. So, you know, it's unique how they change certain aspects of of the characters and how those actors have to roll with the punches so to speak well prowse i know didn't know and maybe you guys talked about this on the empire episode i haven't heard that one, i haven't listened to that one yet 
but that you know during the the scene in Empire where you know Luke he didn't kill your you know <laughs> he didn't kill your father I am your father you mm-hmm. know that that sort of classic scene Prowse didn't know yeah that those were the lines until he saw the movie yeah it was literally at the movie that he found that out and he asked you know he he sort of apparently turned to Lucas during the movie and was just like why didn't you just tell me that that's what you want I would have acted differently yeah yeah if that's what you wanted but they were that and Luke and Mark Hamill didn't find out until right before the you know, Mark Hamill didn't know until right before they shot that scene. Yeah, that 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 Vader was going to be his father, and so it was it was amazing how secret they kept stuff even from the cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. There's so many different things that you know wasn't brought out uh, for the cast because they wanted to keep things so silent. But that that thing with David Prowse was just you know kind of upsetting for him because he he wanted to be the one that would be unmasked one of the unique things that i found interesting was you know we we hear about the planets of the universe of star wars and with return of the jedi you you hear about basically the home world of the senate and government of the empire but they never really gave it a name in the movie but they had rolled it around in their heads of saying that it would be this planet named had abaddon and it wasn't until 1991 that with timothy zahn releasing heir to the empire for his empire trilogy he had brought out the name coruscant and so george lucas really liked that name and so he used it further with um the prequel trilogy so i found that really interesting i did not i did not know that and i um it, it's funny that you mentioned it because i really liked uh his thrawn series yeah uh, of books i thought was was uh was one of my favorite series of the star wars books and um that's interesting that that came from there i would not like in my in my mind coruscant was what it was called, but I guess I, for whatever reason, I didn't connect that, that that didn't happen in the movies, that it didn't happen until, uh, until the books came out. That's funny. Yeah. And I mean, it made sense once the prequels came out because those weren't until 1999, but, right. uh, with Thrawn trilogy coming out in 1991, apparently George Lucas was even a fan of those books. And, um, Timothy Zahn, you know, he still gets credit for inventing Thrawn because now he's being used in Star Wars Rebels, so. Right, exactly. But, of course, you know, we're, we're going off on a tangent. So, um, right. what is your best highlight of Return of the Jedi? For, for me, the, the big highlight, um, unfortunately, comes early in the movie. Um, it is, uh, it, it's Luke having coordinated this whole escape thing uh, and it all coming together over the Sarlacc pit and us finally getting to see Luke um, do some Jedi stuff. Because so far, Luke's been kind of, I mean, yes, at the very end of of Star Wars, he makes the shot with his X-Wing after, you know, getting bailed out by by Han. But most of that movie, he's the dumb farm kid (laughs) who... You know, he's the rube. It doesn't really get what's going on. In in Empire, 
he you know we see him train with Je- with with Yoda but mostly he's whiny mm-hmm. you know he's this super whiny kid he he manages to to get out of the cave you know the ice cave and and, and but again he gets saved by Han yeah and <laughs> Um, and then he goes to fight Vader and gets his butt kicked. <laughs> and uh, so Luke's kind of been, uh, you know, the, the the kicking. He's been the guy who got kicked around a lot. And when we were kids, my brother always was Han, and I was always <laughs> Luke when we would play. Yeah. So I've been waiting for this third movie, finally for Luke to, to finally become, you know, the top-notch guy. Yeah. And uh, it's taken Luke a while to develop. But uh, over the Sarlacc pit, we, we see him uh, being pretty awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and we get to see him go through. And even when he comes in, you know, at first when he arrives at Jabba's palace and he, he you know, force chokes a couple of the big pig-looking creatures away and, um, and uses his mind tricks to get in to see Jabba and, and all that. that. That first half an hour of the movie is really Luke being pretty awesome yeah and and so for me um that was the part that i really that i really wanted to to see was was that part um was luke finally getting to do some jedi stuff yeah and even when he's he got thrown down into the sarlacc or not the sarlacc but the rancor pit um he faces off against you know a giant monster that of course is not very big because uh it's a puppet but um the unique thing about that is that they they play it so well and that part of it is animatronic to where they have a giant claw actually hold him and you know have it be brought up so it looks like he's actually being carried by the rancor but one of the things i found about the rancor is that the guttural sounds and grunts and growls uh, were actually made by a dachshund. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was they're, a it was a dog. They're fierce man. Yeah, they're fierce. And they're fierce little animals. <laughs> I know they're little guys, but they pack a punch. How about for you? What what was your highlight on the movie? Oh, my highlight would have to be the uh, speeder chase in yeah. the in the forest of Endor. Um, that's like one of my highlighted scenes in that entire movie and getting them on those speeder bikes and chasing the, the stormtroopers through the forest and the scout troopers and, um, just the different, I mean, it always made me wonder how did they get these to look like they're going so fast? And then like, as I was doing research, I found that, uh, they were, they would walk through the forest at a normal speed with a video camera and get these footage of, you know, going through this California forest and uh, and then they'd speed up the film to make it look really, really fast. And But that scene has always impressed me and always even shown that Luke could get by with without having his lightsaber or being able to use his lightsaber but still be able to be a Jedi. And uh, I found that, you know, that's just one of my all-time favorite scenes in that movie. Yeah, Um, for sure. So then we come to the thought of what is your least favorite. For me, that's tricky. I mean, 
uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan, especially at the time, and I know I'm not the only one, of the Ewoks. Yes. Okay, so, so I'm just going to lay it out. Uh, I thought the Ewoks took a lot of time in the movie yeah. that that could have been spent more interestingly. And my understanding is that they were originally going to do that. They were going to have Wookiees. Yeah. It was going to be this planet of Wookiees, but they they couldn't afford, you know, it was going to be expensive. And so they went the other way and they went short. And I get it. It's cute and everything. But, it, you know, part of it is you've got these <laughs> teddy bears with all this stuff rigged up in the forest, like who are they fighting? Like how do they already have these logs all set up <laughs> to fight all these stormtroopers and and these walkers? Like what were they normally doing with that? Like no, they had no purpose. So they rigged all that up in the you know hour or whatever they had to do this. It just mm-hmm. seemed a little bit, a little bit crazy to me that they did all this. And it's kind of like in the the remake of the Magnificent Seven. And they set up a whole village to have all this stuff and and everything. And like, we've got a day. Okay, let's build, (laughs) let's dig an eight mile trench and do all this other stuff. It's like, I'm sorry. No. Yeah. Not going to happen. So, um, so anyway, I'm going to, I'm a, I'm a go with the Ewoks. Okay. I'm, I still go back and forth with what is my least favorite thing about Return of the Jedi. And I would have to say, um, some of the things with the Ewoks, uh, were, you know, was very kind of bland to me because, I mean, you've got these tiny little creatures fighting against the Empire and, uh, right. the only way they're able to win is because of the Rebels. And so I think that side of it made me like those scenes better because you get Chewie going off and actually capturing one of the ATSTs. And uh, right. that's one of the fun moments in that that forest battle, uh, being able to see that. I mean, it's just, you know, really impressive. And uh, I found it really interesting that, you know, with getting so many smaller actors uh, to be able to do those roles, small people uh, to be able to do the roles of the Ewoks, such as Warwick Davis and um, Kenny Baker and... Uh, several other actors that I can't remember, but they've used in uh, movies like Time Bandits. And right. um, I mean, sure, they you know they they went through a lot of work to be able to make them believable and have them be this forest of uh, these small creatures. And I mean, we get a really good movie out of that that whole story by the Caravan of Courage. I mean. You know, that that TV movie that had come out after Return of the Jedi um, because it was basically, you know, the Ewoks on this adventure trying to go up against this giant monster uh, that had captured these kids' parents. I, I mean, I just find it, you know, unique that their whole society was built better by having that background story. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And I think that, that fleshed it out and made it uh, a little, a little more different. And don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, I also have a special place uh, for the Ewoks in my heart. Uh, we used to when, so when Jerry and Colin and I were, you know, we were all in high school together. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we did in high school our senior year, and we did it a few times, 
is we would actually come up to the school really early and we would park in the senior parking lot and we would bring up a grill and we actually would grill steaks before school. Oh. We, we actually hung out in the parking lot. We had a, a like a tailgate before school. We had a, a little grill with steaks and, and like beans and stuff. And we would play the Return of the Jedi soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And so, and which for the most part, the only part we could sing along with was the Ewok part. Mm-hmm. The parade so of the we, Ewoks. Yeah, chub chub, eat chub, and up whoop. And man, we could sing. We knew all of the Ewok lines to that. You know. Uh, so that, yeah. So that, so so I still got a little Ewok love there. Don't get me wrong. There is an interesting point about that whole uh, music cue. Uh, did you know that Joseph Williams, who is the leads, one of the lead singers of the band Toto, mm. he was consulted with for uh well he also helped compose those very pieces of music and he is the son of john williams no kidding yes that is awesome i did not know that yeah uh so i i was really more or less flabbergasted because I didn't realize that he was actually involved. I did, yeah, I didn't know that John Williams had a son. Was, I, the funny part of this is I was actually listening on Spotify to some 80s music earlier, and I actually, earlier today, the song Africa by Toto came on my station. So this is all just coming together, man. This is karma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's u- unique, you know, because there are some very specific images that you get when you hear the music for Return of the Jedi. There's the very specific point where Luke faces off at the Sarlacc pit. There's the point where the rebel fleet is going before they head out to the Death Star. Um, you get that amazing action cue that's just like it builds and builds and you're like hey, yeah let's do this and then you know the different cues for the the battle of Endor with John Williams music it's just it's so impressive because they, he's able to weave this story so well and he's built it over three films and so you you get this wonderful uh, piece of music that uh, just flows really well. Well, that, and that's absolutely true. I mean, the, uh, a big part of Return of the Jedi is while there, well, while there is the music, and obviously it's scored. Um, it, it, you know, so much of it is about hitting familiar notes, and both in, in the movie, there's so many callbacks to things that have happened earlier. Whether it's you know Han's like, how are we doing, and looks, <laughs> you know, about the same as normal. Oh, that bad. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and then and then later on, where uh, you know Leia reveals that she's got a gun, and and Han says, "I love you," and she says, "I know." I mean, there's so many great, and obviously everything with R two D two and C three PO at that point is just on autopilot. I mean, yeah. you just know that what they're do what they're going to do before they do it, uh, which is partly what's so familiar and great about it because the characters are so familiar that it's like an old friend who who fills in the line that you don't have yet and so that's part of what what i love about it probably for me one of the most emotional pieces of music 
in the in the movie is during the scene where Luke reveals to Leia um, a that they're brother and sister, and b that Vader is not only Luke's father but Leia's father. Yes, and and that's a that is a very very powerful scene in that movie. Yeah, it's. Uh, go ahead. No, no, and, and one that I I love so much, and I was hoping we were going to get a see. And I don't, you know, I don't totally know what episode um, eight holds, mm-hmm. but you know, I was very much looking forward to a Luke Leia uh, reunion. Well, I think that will happen, and I, and I think it may because I know they've already shot a lot of a lot of the movie. Yeah, um, and they've and shot all Leia scenes, so right. And if that if that's the music that they play, um, I could, especially knowing that Carrie Fisher is gone, mm-hmm. if that if they play that music. I'll be gone. Like I'll be a wreck. <laughs> I just say yeah. right now, the the the, the tears are going to fall. Yeah, I'm not ashamed. Like that's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that right now. So. But it, it really shows that uh, the music for even Return of the Jedi has that that heart, that emotion behind it that really can draw us into the characters and really see that these are you know characters that can be flawed and that have problems and you know even when they they get lando and admiral akbar and when they get to endor and they find out that uh the shield's still up and then they're trapped by the star destroyers and then akbar says it's a trap uh you know we we see that there's there's these flaws in the characters that it's like we gotta give them more time (laughs) so yeah yeah exactly no there's there's and I think you know part of it is in that movie there you know we know everything's gonna go wrong mm-hmm. like we know nothing's gonna go according to plan like whatever the plan is that's not what's gonna happen and and that's true of uh, of a lot of movies but here you just expect it I mean every time the Millennium Falcon doesn't go to light speed and Leia rolls her eyes <laughs> and and you know every time the plan doesn't work out right and it's really a trap. Uh, like you, you, you're not, of course, of course it's a trap. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. <laughs> um, but the, you know, in some ways the, the bad guys are taken down by their own, uh, by their own hubris and, mm-hmm. and by just the, the rebels being willing to, to make sacrifices. We're going to sacrifice some ships. If we're going to take the Death Star down, we got to do it now. We got, you know, we got to give them more time. So, and, you know, to see, some, uh, uh, you know, it's not Han and Chewie in the Millennium Falcon. Uh, yeah. is you know a, you know a, a different thing we're not used to seeing somebody else in there and uh, but i mean it's it's lando i mean mm-hmm. lando's kind of is very han like yeah i mean the, these two guys are pretty darn similar so oh yeah and i mean with the result of um empire strikes back as well as return of the jedi we got the lando calrissian adventures uh, from Brian Daly, I believe he had written three separate stories that tied together to give us some background on Lando. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, and because Lando is a character who we haven't seen a lot of uh, a lot of his background. We don't know a lot from the movies. You know, we know he has this connection with Han. We get this impression that he's a he's a you know kind of a scoundrel. A little mm-hmm. bit of, you know, definitely kind of a, a kind of a player, kind of a hustler. 
and uh, and so I'm I'm very interested to see how things work in the young Han Solo movie. Yeah, how much we how much we learn about Lando. Will he be an important character in the movie? Is he just going to be there to kind of add a little background? Or my guess is that we're going to see how Han gets the Millennium Falcon mm-hmm. um, and how he gets it from Lando. Yeah, maybe um, we'll is my guess. maybe we'll finally get to see what the game of Savak actually how it's played <laughs> right exactly right how how does that how does that go down and and um how desperate lando must have been to have wagered the millennium falcon that seems to me to be a uh, a pretty big bet yeah yeah i would agree uh when we when we look at certain scenes in the movie um how how did the uh, the death scene of yoda affect you you know i i think i felt sad but uh, you know he leaves us with this revelation that there's another Mm -hmm. and he leaves luke really as the as far as we know is the last jedi Uh, even though he says there's another but there's another skywalker Mm -hmm. you know there's another skywalker and to pass on what you've learned and and i uh, you know there's there's a sadness there because i loved puppet Yoda. Yeah. Um, and watching the prequels, I'll be honest, I don't love CGI Yoda. Yeah. And um, I know people are like, well, we want to be able to do this and this, and I get it. It's cool to see Joe, you, you know, Yoda bounce around and do all that stuff. But to be honest, I I thought Puppet Yoda was so incredibly well done. Yeah. And uh, I thought they shot it well. Frank Oz did an did an awesome job. And so for me, for me, it was, it was very sad, but I also knew it was, it was something that had to happen. You've got to, you've, and you've done it twice to Luke, you know, in the hero's journey, the classic hero's journey, that's part of it is you take away the teacher mm-hmm. and you leave the, the hero has to go on his own. And we've now we've done this with Luke twice. Yeah. We've taken away, we've taken away Obi-Wan and, and now we've taken away Yoda and and that's what you had to do. Luke's now got to be on his own. He's got to go. He he can't. He's got to defeat Vader, Vader and the Emperor by himself. That's the only way that the hero's journey works. And so for me, it was it was sad, but it was absolutely it was a hundred percent necessary. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree because uh, it it pushed him to do what he needed to do. Actually, become the Jedi that he needed to be. It it made it. A much more meaningful scene uh, to show that Yoda, you know, he didn't he didn't die of, you know, being stabbed by a lightsaber. He actually died of natural right. causes. So it's like this is a natural course for him. <laughs> yeah, and I think so. it was just time for him to go. I think it was time. I think he realized it was time for him to step out of the way. And uh, you know, I didn't get the idea that it was totally like just whatever i mean i think i think it was his time to go and he went out in control yeah you know of what he wanted so um so anyway i uh, yeah it was it was a necessary part of the movie it was the, the transition that luke needed to be able to go and take the next step and to and to fully be uh to fully be a jedi yeah and so <laughs> one of the things that i'd like to encourage you to do is go back and listen to my Empire Strikes Back episode because yeah. there's a really funny tidbit that I shared with Colin about Irvin Kirshner. 
and his directing habits. So mm. I will I will leave that in the air so you can listen okay, to it. Okay, all right. Very good. <laughs> I look forward to that. But yeah, um, so you know we've we've talked a lot about the characters in the film and different scenes that have affected us, um, and we've even you know discussed a little bit of the music that John Williams uh, puts out uh, for Return of the Jedi. So what I'd like to do is. I've got a few cues that I'd like to play for us. Um, the, f- the first cue I have is playing the Pit of Carcoon Sail Barge Assault. And so I'd like to ask you, what do you think of the music that we're about to play? And, you know, how does, how does the scenes in the movie uh, help with the, the music? For, well, for me, um, you know, this is an action scene. And it's a really important action scene because after this scene, we don't get much action for a while. The The movie really kind of gets gets slow for a little bit in the middle. And so you've got to have this big emotional swell, but you've been building up to it. You've been told they're going to digest in the pit of the Sarlacc for a thousand years. Yeah. And so... So you've really got to build this up. And you don't know what's going to happen because Luke seems strangely confident. Mm-hmm. Like his confidence seems disproportionate to the situation. Like, uh, like it just seems all bluff. You know, let me go now or else you're going to die and regret <laughs> it. And you've got so many things going on. You've got R2 on the barge electrocuting the little rat creature. You've got Leia who's got to get her revenge against Jabba for being just gross and disgusting. <laughs> You've got Han and Chewie and Lando there. They've got Boba Fett they've got to deal with while Luke kind of directs the whole thing. So there's just so much going on, and the music just plays into that. It just keeps building and ramping it up and ramping it up. Just when you think there, you can't add anything to the action, there's another thing that adds on. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the music just plays into that whole aspect of it by just building up and building up. And you don't even know that you're doing it. You're grabbing your, your arms or your chair, and you're just getting pulled into it. You don't, you don't notice. It's one of those scenes, like quiet scenes, you tend to notice the, the music. Yeah. And action scenes, you don't maybe tend to notice the music as much um, until you you go back and you make a specific effort to listen to the music. You listen to the music, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, my gosh, I can see everything that's happening in this scene just by listening to the music it, because it so mirrors everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those iconic scenes. And as you brought out earlier, it's one of your favorite scenes in the movie. Absolutely. So um, so now we'll play The Pit of Carcoon and Sail Barge Assault.
So the next cue I'd like to play is the Speeder Bike Chase and Land of the Ewoks. Um, I really love how this action cue uh, brings Luke and Leia into this amazing speeder bike chase. What do you think about it, John? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, the speeder bike chase is another thing. It's just frantic. It's it's just this crazy scene, and it's almost hard to process how anybody would steer through this without the force. Yeah. Like, I get if you've got the force, how you can know every tree that's coming up. But if you're just a regular schlep riding around in one of those stormtrooper helmets with no peripheral vision, like, I'm sorry. I don't even know how you do that. That's just crazy. And so um, so for me, this was just about keeping the frantic pace of this speeder bike chase going on and on. Um, and then it, it, it's funny because it, it transitions to this really slow part of, of Leia meeting this first Ewok and, and all that comes about from that. But for me, the speeder bike chase was, it was a chance to give us, we needed a little action. Because mm-hmm. otherwise this, this movie is real slow between the Sarlacc pit and the Battle of Endor. Um, it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of downtime, a lot of character development. And so you needed that speeder bike chase. So you needed an, another up-tempo uh, sort of piece with the music and with the action of the movie. Yeah, I would uh, definitely agree. And it, I mean, as I've said, this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, so now we'll play Speeder Bike Chase and Land of the Ewoks.
So the last cue I have to play is uh, one of my favorite cues from Return of the Jedi. The cue is uh, brother and sister, father and son, the fleet enters hyperspace. I love how this cue is so complicated to start and then we get the excitement of the fleet entering hyperspace. So what do you think about this cue and what do you think it means for part of the movie? Well, I mean, and this is really, you know, the, the fleet entering hyperspace is, is setting up, but the the brother, sister, how is it worded? It's brother, sister. Brother and, brother and sister, father and son, uh, the fleet enters hyperspace. So for me, the whole, this is what the whole the whole trilogy is about. Yeah, and it, it, it is the relationship between you know Vader and his children and their relationship with each other. I mean, we we see when we watch this 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 trilogy, the movies are about Luke uh, by and large. It's the hero's journey, but ultimately. The whole story is really about Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader, and it's it's about his redemption in the end through his children. But we can look at the end, we can say Darth Vader is an evil character. Anakin Skywalker became evil, like as evil as you can get, like going through lightsaber and younglings. That's evil. Yeah. Um, and, and that at the end in the sense that he saves Luke for Luke to be able to go on and do things. Um, you know, I, I can't, I can't look at that and say he's, is Darth Vader redeemed for every evil thing he's done? Uh, I'm a, I'm a say no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but by allowing Luke to go on and do all this other stuff, whatever else he does with his life, um, and saving the rebellion and, and everything, does he gain some measure of redemption? Okay, I can give him that. Um, but this is this is ultimately a movie about a family and their their effect on through, through their relationships on the rest of the universe. And so for me, that's what this is: is trying to get this emotional aspect of you know Luke's going into his his meeting with Vader trying to bring him back to the light side, trying to turn him back into good, trying to turn him away from evil. And and it, and it would have been super easy, and a lot of us would have just said, you know what, hey, dad's evil. Like, it's just time to let that go. Like, he's never not going to be evil, okay? So, um, so for me, that relationship and everything is what the movie's all about. Yeah. And everything, you know, everything else is just the action around it. So for, so for me, um, e even the fleet coming in the battle, listen, I love that battle. I love it's a trap. Like, I love everything about that battle. But the movie's about this relationship between uh, Vader, Luke, and Leia. That's what the movie's about. Yeah. And one thing, I mean, I won't be playing the cue, but uh, the, um, there's, a, there's a scene in the movie uh, when the emperor is electrifying luke and mm -hmm. vader realizes that he needs to make a decision and he decides correctly but at that very moment in the music uh the jedi theme is brought out and you notice it just a little bit 
to where he's lifting up the emperor and throwing him down that tunnel or the chasm, I guess. <laughs> and, right. uh, and it's, it's such a, it's a heroic point in the film that shows, yes, you know, there was some good in him and he was able to, you know, uh, fulfill basically that prophecy of having that um, balance uh, set forth. But it just, you know, it's a very emotional cue as well. So before we play this last cue, one thing that I'd really like to say is I, I've enjoyed having you on my show tonight, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I've enjoyed it too. It's been fun talking about, uh, talking about I mean, a movie and obviously Star Wars is... You know, Star Wars was going to always be iconic, even if Star Wars ended at those first three movies. Star Wars was was always going to be an iconic trilogy of movies. And the first, you know, the the prequel movies, while maybe us old-timers don't like them quite as much, for a lot of the younger people, man, they love those three movies. And and, and that's just continued on, uh, that Star Trek, uh, you know, tradition. And now, I'll be honest with you, I think we're going to get a Star Wars movie I think there's going to be a Star Wars movie every year until the year I die, you know, until the day I die, there's <laughs> going to be a Star Wars movie every year. Because right now, Disney, there's printing money. Yeah. Uh, and so I think we're going to get that for as long as people to go, go see them. And I think people are still pumped. People are excited about Episode Eight. They're excited about a Han Solo movie. And so, you know, Han's, uh, Star Wars is even more of a cultural uh, uh, point than than it ever you know as much as it ever has been and so it's so it's fun to sit down and, and talk about that yeah uh, so john where can people find you well right now i'm in my basement uh, <laughs> but i i am uh, so if they want to find me they can uh, uh find worst comic podcast ever on facebook is uh we we post a lot there of everything we've got going on you can go to our website worstcomingpodcastever.com and uh, you can find interviews we've done with different creators if you're a star wars fan you might go on there and find the interview we did with jason aaron who's oh, nice. the writer of the uh of the current star wars uh series for marvel we interviewed him on the day that uh star wars number one uh came out uh so you can listen to that and uh and yeah, and uh, I'm on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can find me there as uh, Comic Con John. Okay. Uh, and so uh, those are all places you can uh, find me on the webs. All right. So you can follow me on my Facebook page at Soundtrack Alley on Podbean, and then you can even write a review on iTunes for my pod my podcast because I've looked and there's no reviews yet. <laughs> So, um, it's, I will tell you, and, and, you know, you're, you're, uh, doing an awesome job. This is still uh, a new endeavor. Um, it takes people to, uh, a while to find it. We've done 141 episodes and we still don't get, we get little messages from people. It's like, Oh, I love your show. I listen all the time. And it's like, I've never heard of you. <laughs> so people, people will listen even if they don't necessarily end up leaving a comment or a review. So, uh, so don't be hard on yourself. That's, right. that's, 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 that's part of the game. So, uh, a lot more people, I, I know podcasts that have 10, you know, 2000 downloads a week <laughs> that don't, that, that will just tell me we don't get comments. Like if we get three comments on a show, that's awesome. We feel yeah. great. So anyway, yeah. don't, uh, don't sweat that too much. Okay. 
So I, I again want to thank you for being on on my show. Um, this kind of kind of completes a trifecta of uh, the worst <laughs> comic podcast ever. I'm glad I was able to get uh, Jerry on uh, my podcast before he had to go into uh, bionic knee surgery. So that's right. That's right. Um, yes, I. I uh, messaged back and forth with him a little bit earlier today and he's doing uh he's doing very well he's doing some physical therapy but uh he should be back he had surgery on on wednesday tomorrow's friday he should be going home on friday so things are going uh, right according to schedule well that's that's really fantastic so yeah. again um to close with the show um we will play brother and sister father and son the fleet enters hyperspace and happy listening <laughs> thanks everybody
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take some time to review me, my podcast on iTunes and also listen to it on Podbean. And if you leave a review or rating on there, it'll help us get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. 
If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.